If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open those to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In a conversation with a friend who is a historian, as a hobby at least, uh, as we thought about the intensity of the past week, he shared with me that a reminder from, from history that when Hitler invaded Poland... C.S. Lewis was standing in the chapel at Oxford. And in the midst of confusion and calamity, he said to those students that we are not seeing the world as it has become. We are seeing the world as it has always been. And this is how it is expressing itself right now. As we have spent the better part of 10 months looking at the difficulty of the world that we live in, in a world that is asking to have conversations about sickness and reconciliation as we are seeing what is confusing as we watch whatever we happen to watch. We are reminded that this chaos, all of it, is taking place because the world is reminding us that it is broken and that there is a need for healing, there is a need for reconciliation, there is a need for true freedom, there is a need for hope, and that we don't find those things in anything in this world actually presents the chaos. We find it from the one who is above it all. So we look at John chapter 15 today. We're going to hear from Jesus about what it means for us to be people who experience true growth. And where that true growth actually comes from. And how we can experience that in full. And how we are to live in a way that displays that in full. So if you've got your Bibles, John 15, picking up in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside. Like a branch, he withers. They gather him, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay his life down for his friends. And you are my friends if you love, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not, serve, does not know what his master is doing. 
I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Love one another. As we break down this text today, we see it in three pieces. We see uh, the idea of growth and we see that you are, we would see grow up. And we would write that down. If you're a note taker, 15, 1 through 7, we see the idea of theologically growing up toward God in a sense. In 8 through 15, we see the idea of growing in or inward. 8 through 15, we see the idea of growing inward. That's the idea of us as followers of Jesus growing together as a body of people. Growing together as people who follow Him, who trust Him, who love Him. And finally, we see the idea of growing out. That we as followers of Jesus would see that our love for God is manifest in such a way that those who do not know nor love God would come to know Him. That they would have a hope that is found in the person of Jesus. When we get to verse, chapter 15, verse 1, we see Jesus come out of the gate hot, if you will, when He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. The nation of Israel is, has always served as um, a symbol to point to the true rescuer that would be Jesus. If you read through the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, the first seven verses, you see the notion that the vine is a representation of Israel. And God reminds us of the problems with Israel being seen simply as the vine. Psalm 80 is a story of how God brought a vine out of Egypt and, had, and it had to be reestablished. Why? Because the vineyard had produced wild, worthless grapes. The, the union that we as believers in Jesus have is unique and is different in comparison because it starts with the initiative of God shown to us in the person of Jesus. It is sealed with the death of Jesus and it is completed by believers who display love and obedience to Jesus. Jesus tells his followers in this moment that he is the vine, the true vine, the real vine, the promised vine, that he is where their identity should actually lie. Jesus tells them, and He tells us, I am the vine. As they would walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and His disciples would pass by the temple that was built by Herod. We are, on, we are moments away from Jesus Christ being crucified when we visit John chapter 15. When they were on the way to the temple built by Herod, I may or may not have a picture of this, you'll, you'll notice that at the top of the temple, there are various vines that are there that are intertwined. And as you look at these vines, you'll, there is, uh, they're carved out in gold. It had branches that's the size of a human being and there were grape clusters that were there that were made of jewels. Rich Jewish people would add to this idea, would add to this uh, jewel-filled demonstration and as you'll notice that at the top, and when they would add to this, it was always pouring money and money into saying that our identity is in our Jewishness, is in the fact that we are the nation of Israel. Herod took this and co-opted, making sure that you would have the idea of a Messiah, a part that he wanted to play, commandeered and joined together with the truths of Judaism or the at times the not full truths that were there that we can figure this out on our own. 
Jesus says in this passage to a group of people who walk by this, pointing, says to these disciples who've grown up their entire lives looking at this vine and being told that their real identity as a people, as a person, and as a nation is based in the fact that they are Jewish. Which means that Jesus has just said to these men, I want to undo everything that you understand about what it means to have a real identity. For the Jewish people, the vine is a symbol of national identity. And Jesus is saying to them, your entire life you've been told this, but right now in your midst the true vine walks. And I want you to look at that and say, I don't buy it. And for those of us who would follow after Jesus, I would encourage us to look at everything that would claim and everything that would beg for identity, that everything that would ask of us that we should find our definition of who we are in anything other than Jesus. And we would reply in the same way that we would say, I'm not going to believe that. That I believe that God has called me to be unified with Him through the person of Jesus because my real vine, my real identity is in Him. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Jesus in this passage uses that in me at the beginning of verse 2 just to let us know there, is go- there are going to be claims over and over that things are in me that are not actually part of me. There will be those who claim to follow after the person of Jesus who do not actually know Jesus. Now this is different depending on where you live, but we live in a very churched place. There are churches on every corner. Some corners have two churches. Some churches have two corners. And as you'll notice... There are numerous people who can tell you where they go to church and why they go to church, but then there are others who will tell you that they go to church but they can't think of the name of it. That's typically a tip of the hat to the fact that they don't go to church. Like, I can tell you where I go to church. I go here. But the idea of being a follower of Jesus is not simply rooted in church, though that is a display of something that a believer in Jesus should do. We look and we see that Jesus is addressing, there are some who claim to know me that do not in actuality know me. There are some who claim to believe in me that do not really believe in me. And we have seen signs of this throughout history. We have seen pictures of the Ku Klux Klan with Jesus saves behind them. That is contradictory and contrary to the person and the message of Jesus. This week we noticed Jesus saved signs alongside of swastika, alongside of Confederate flags. That is contrary to the message of Jesus. The hope that we have as followers of Jesus is in the idea that he does not merge himself with anything else because he is not hoping to be your representative. He will always be your king. And Jesus claims to us, as those who would follow him, you are my people, so keep your heart and your focus on me. And don't get lost in everything that could cause distress and dismay. Because yes, in this world there will be many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying that in me, in this passage, that that those of us who are in Him, He's going to do the work of pruning. Because we have a lifelong connection to the person of Jesus. Some of our translations use the word abide. It's probably not a word you throw around a lot. My Bible uses the word remain. It's the idea of finding, the idea of depending. It's the idea of staying. 
There's a game that kids play from time to time. It's like reverse hide and seek. If I'm not mistaken, it's called sardines. Any kids ever in the room ever played sardines? Okay, you're just on Instagram. That's cool. <laughs> it's a very popular church game. It, it's, it is reverse hide and seek because everyone hides around the building. And you try to find other people. And when you find them, they're not out. You actually stay with them. You stay there. And then everyone's still looking and everyone tries to find and they, they stay. You want to stay somewhere. Jesus is saying, if you found me, stay. Stay. Because there is always going to be a counter-tension asking you to leave. There will always be things that present themselves to you that would say to you that you should leave. There will always be things that beg and vie for your attention that are contrary to who Jesus actually is. There will be a temptation to go back to this merged Messiah of Herod on the temple and, and miss the actual Messiah of Jesus who stands in our midst. Divine metaphor means the wood is connected to the vine. That the, the branch is connected there. And when Jesus talks about pruning, he's talking about things that can be painful. And if we're being completely truthful, no one wants the knife. None of us ever want the pain of that. No one wants the difficulty of that. But the idea of the knife is part of the story. So often we as followers of Jesus want to talk about using the Bible and we use the Bible as a sword when the hope of God is to use the Bible as a scalpel on you before you ever use it as a weapon. He's cutting into us. He's dissecting us. He's working in us to remove the things that are unlike Him and fill them with things that are. David references the idea of affliction and how that affects you and how it impacted him. And he talks about the, the benefit of it. That, if, that we as followers of Jesus should be going through the process of pruning regularly because if we're not, we're missing something. Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. It's taking us in the direction of affliction being part of the, of the story of the Christian. Psalm 119, verse 71, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I may learn your decrees, O God. James says it this way, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and, the, and, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking absolutely nothing. This is going to take place in us as believers. Painful things that remove the parts of us that are unlike Jesus, the person of Jesus, so that we would be more like Him. Jesus says, I am the vine, verse 5. It's almost like a reminder. In the event that the disciples don't get it, let me clarify. I am the vine, you are the branches. In the event that the disciples have missed the message of Jesus from the first four verses, let me break it down for you, wicka wicka, and help you to understand this fully. In the event that these men who followed Jesus, who, if we're being honest, they weren't building rockets. In the event you've missed, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. That the follower of Jesus would produce fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. In the seven statements of Jesus, these I am statements that we run through John's gospel, there is only one that tells us what will take place if we are attempting to function apart from the person of Jesus. And it is this one where he is talking about being the very source of life, our spiritual life. 
Apart from me, you cannot do anything. Verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, you can ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Jesus is pointing out that when we digest and take in the words of Jesus, we are going to make decisions informed by Jesus. This is not a magic prayer asking things in Jesus' name and those things showing up. This is not something that we see just in a magical way. Calvin reminds us, when he promises to grant whatever we ask, whatever we wish, he does not permit an undisciplined asking. The follower of Jesus is to be seeking after the person of Jesus and hoping for the holiness of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if you do not desire to be holy... You do not have any right to think that you are a Christian. Jesus says this in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you would produce fruit and that you would prove to be my disciples. So the people of Jesus are going to produce fruit as the people of Jesus. That we would be people who display who we are spending time with We have various voices in our head. I I would like to think that they are all helpful and they are all beneficial. I, I would love for you to even think through the voices that are in your head right now. The voices that you hear throughout the week. The voices that speak to you as to who you should be and what priorities and values you should have. When I think of the voices in my head, there are many that are personal. I think of the voice of my wife Hope and how helpful she is. I think of my best friend Zach and how he says things to me that are beneficial. I think of my other best friend Jeremy because you can have more than one. I think of how the things that he says, though they don't always line up with the way that I see the world and his values are not always my values. I think about the benefit of his voice for the counterpoint that's there. I think about the the people in my life group that I see. I think about the guys that I meet with for discipleship weekly. On top of that, there are public voices that are in my head. There's a pastor in Nashville named Scott Sauls. His voice is one that is beneficial to me. There's a pastor in in Birmingham. He teaches preaching at Beeson Divinity School named Robert Smith Jr. His voice I listened to this week as as I listened to sermons. There are podcasts that I listen to about Star Wars and sports. These voices running in my head. There's a pastor in Idaho named Jim Putman. I didn't know if you knew they had churches there, but they do. He talks about discipleship regularly. There's the, the voices of various media people, some on the left, some on the right, that I hear consistently. They're the voices of, of professors like Esau McCauley, whose book I've been listening to this week. Everything we listen to is in some way taking us a direction. Have you thought about the voices that are coming into your head lately? Have you thought about the voices that are speaking to you, that are giving direction to you? Because whether we realize it or not, they are always causing us to see our world in a certain way. Are we seeing and allowing Scripture to give direction to how those things come into us? 
Are we hoping that Scripture would portray itself, that we would portray the teachings of Scripture as we consider these things? Growing toward the Lord as we live in a world that is very godless at times. But we see not only are we to grow upward, we're to grow in. Verses 9 through 15 give us a display of that. The believers are to grow spiritually as a body. And Jesus here points to his disciples, showing them, displaying them, presenting to them the idea of interacting with one another. And interacting with one another over what he has said. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. The message of Jesus is very tied to love. It's been unique as I've spent time in discipleship groups with various men at our church walking through chapters of the Bible. One thing keeps coming up. The Bible talks about love a lot. I know it's a shocker. But God seems to have that as a central point of his conversation with us. Verse 10, Jesus says this, If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love. Now, I've heard this phrase my entire life. I spent a little bit of time with the Greek word this week, the transliterated Greek word. But but the idea of keeping there is tied to digestion. If you're digesting my word. But it lets us know a little bit more when we think about the idea that there are certain things that when we digest them that our natural selves want to push back out. Jesus is saying to believers that it will be work to keep and digest the words that he's given us. Jesus is saying, keep these, don't let go of these things because your body, you're going to fight to let go of them because we have all of these masquerading, competitive things taking place around us, vying and begging for our attention. I've told you these things, Jesus says, that so that you may keep, so that you may, So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy, that your joy will be complete. Jesus then goes on to say, this is the command that I give. Love one another. Now immediately our hearts go to the what about question. But what about when people are dumb? Because people are dumb sometimes. What about when people disagree with me? What about when they're unkind to me what about when they're harsh toward me love one another shaping love just as I have loved you no one has greater life than this to lay his life down for his friends Jesus is pointing out to his people that the unique nature of the relationship that he has called you to is different than every other relationship I've been to various fitness facilities around Lake Jackson. I drive into their parking lot, eat a donut. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) But if you attend any of these things, you'll notice there's a camaraderie that's there. We we get in, we we pump iron, we do push-ups, we stretch. But can you imagine if there happened to be a moment at the end of your iron pumping, push-up doing, stretching activity... That you looked into the eyes of a person, you began to say to them, Hey, do you know what you're doing? That doesn't line up with what Jesus says. They would hit you with a barbell. They don't want that from you. That's the very nature of the relationship that Jesus has called believers to. 
that we would be interacting over the truths of Jesus and though it will be painful at times, those very truths would eventually, they would prune us and they would make us more like Jesus so that we would display the love that Jesus seems to display. Jesus says this, You are my friends, in verse 14, if you do what I command you. Now, hear me say this, Obedience does not make you a Christian. Jesus makes you a Christian. Obedience shows that you are a friend of Jesus. That you have a relationship with Jesus. That you have dug in to the hard, difficult work of knowing Jesus and you have said, I'm going to keep this even though everything inside of me wants to push it back out. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. He could call us anything. That word's used in the New Testament over and over that we're his servants. But Jesus has just bumped it up and said, You're not just my servant, you're my friend. I've called you my friends. Because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. I have made these things known to you. You belong to me and I'm going to give direction to you and how you live. We see the idea of an inward connection with one another. Who are you inwardly connected to? Who are you intrinsically connected to for the sake of your spiritual well-being? Who is present for you who could say, that doesn't line up quite with what Jesus says? Are you willing to say that to other believers? Are you willing to have hard conversations about what it really means for us to display the message of Jesus to the world that is called? Because we are in this together. Finally, we see that we're called to grow out. Jesus says in verse 16, You did not choose me. I, I chose you. That's weird. It's not weird for you because we like to talk about choosing and chosing all the time. Chosing's not a word. We'll just go with it. In the world of Jesus, in the world that he walked in, a rabbi doesn't find you. You find him. A, a rabbi doesn't attach himself to you. You attach yourself to him. Jesus has flipped the script on these Jewish people who are following him. And he has said, You didn't choose me. I chose you. They would talk about walking in the dust of your rabbi. Jesus says to these disciples, and in a sense to us, If you know me, I chose for you to be covered in my dust. I chose for you to walk behind me. I chose for you to be in the path that I walked. Jesus is saying, I have attached myself to you. The word appointed is used there. I appointed you to go and produce fruit. That's a, a theme that runs through the Old Testament, the notion of appointment. God appoints Abraham to do big stuff, father of many nations. He would appoint the Levitical priests... Moses would appoint Joshua to take the children of Israel on beyond into the promised land. Jesus is saying here to the believer to those who would follow him who have this idea of steep Jewish teaching, I have appointed you to go and produce fruit. Just as I gave Abraham a message to go and be the father of many nations and appointed the priest to lead the synagogue and appointed Joshua to go into the promised land, I am appointing you to produce fruit. What fruit? Fruit of the Spirit is what we see in the book of Galatians from Paul. He's, we see the idea of, of fruit. that's love, compassion, kindness. We see 
And we're called to produce them. Now, somewhere the idea of, of bearing fruit and reflecting Christ was taken captive. There were certain aspects of being a Christian... For whatever reason, all of these messages, there were certain aspects of following after Jesus that were things that men were supposed to do. And there were certain aspects of following Jesus that women were supposed to do. And it's subconscious teaching, really. We would line up and we would ask our whomever, to your spouse, to be a reflection of what you see in Proverbs 31. However, the extension of that turns into... You show compassion. You show kindness. These are traits that we believe that women should have. These are virtues that we believe are, should be present in women. However, the book of Galatians was not specific in who it was addressing. God has not called simply women to be kind and men to be brave. God has called those who follow after Him to run with these fruits. This fruit. God has called each and every one of you who He has said, you're attached to me, you should be compassionate. You should be kind. You should be gentle. We should be these things. A godly man looks like this. A godly woman looks like this. Is in contradiction to what the Scriptures actually teach. Because God has called all of us to this. Now, we have this notion that men should hop out of trees and hunt down boar with their bare hands and have a big game dinner at the church the night afterward. There is no believer in this room who is not called to reflect the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about. There is no believer in this room who gets to walk away from the commands of Jesus in the way that you treat the world around you. Love for God is tied to His people, putting Him on display at all times in everything that we do. Verse 17, This is what I command you. Love one another. Love one another. Love for God is tied to and verified by the love for those who share your faith and for those who you hope will share your faith eventually. Jesus in this passage has just taken us as his people to another level. Because for the Jewish people, they come into the idea of love and they hear that you are to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are true scriptural teachings. Jesus here, however, has said you're also going to love out producing fruit. You're going to love out and you're going to show this. That you would love one another just as I have loved you. So this is not simply loving your neighbor like you love yourself. This takes us to the place where we love our neighbor in the way that Jesus loves us. And the way that Jesus loves us does not stop with a cordial relationship. It moves to self-giving, sacrificial love. A love that reflects the hope of the world presented to us in Jesus. A love that shows that Jesus has lifted himself above and beyond every kingdom of this world. Or republic, if that's the word that you choose. Jesus has lifted himself up to a place that is beyond every other comparison. Jesus has said he is the name above all names. He's the hope above all hope. That he's the king of the world that we, have called, we are called to. 
So would we as believers in Jesus here look at the love that Christ has called us to and evaluate what's taking place in us upwardly, inwardly, and outwardly? Do we have a growing relationship with the person of Christ, trusting that He prunes us and deals with our affliction and works through affliction in our hearts? Will we see how we're tied to other believers in relationship, not simply being confronted with sermons and and messages and the Bible, but we are having conversations about those things? Would we see that God has called us to a uniqueness in this world and not simply a not simply a sterilized version of the same that we see around us. This is to be different. This is to be different. The joy, one of the joys that you get to have as a pastor, especially of a church our, the size of our congregation, is that I know you. I get to know you. I get text messages and phone calls. I'm, I'm your friend on Facebook until I snooze you for 30 days. That's a joke. I care for you. And God has called us to love in a way as we consider those truths that we're really a family. And we're called to be tied to one another as a family. And that the hope of God shown to us in the person of Jesus would be something that we push our family toward. That we would get in the mud together and deal with the hardships of what it means to follow after Jesus. That we would look and we would evaluate the the passive way that we choose to live and that we would actively interact with that. That we would be people about pruning because pruning is for our ultimate good. And that our hope would not be here, but it would be in the eternal person of Christ. Who is at the Father's right hand. And who said to us that He alone is the hope of the world, that He is the vine from which we get life. And apart from Him we can't do anything else. I want us to wrestle with that this week. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for today. Father, I pray that in my own heart you convict the you would convict me of the things that are unlike you Father I pray that you would convict me of the times where I try to find kingdoms that are not yours I pray that you would prune that you would make me more like you. I pray that for our body, that we would be more like you, sacrificially loving like you, self-giving like you. We ask this in your name, Christ. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.